relationships. First off, man, what an incredible song. My goodness. Um, thank you, Hayes. I appreciate that. I am a child of God. We got nothing to fear, friends. The hell may come. The storms may come. The wind may come. We have nothing to fear. Golly. Whew. Uh, before I dismiss the kids, I want us all to be in here to hear us talk about Lent for just a moment. Uh, the, the church historically has had uh, this liturgical calendar that we kind of, we're not a slave to this, um, but it is a great guide for us to kind of hit these beats of the spiritual life. And, and Lent, in the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew 6, Jesus lays out this path, this path to to deeper spiritual formation. And the church has kind of historically used this guide in the Lenten practice. And it's this idea of turning away from self through fasting, turning towards God in prayer, and turning towards our neighbors in service. And, and so the, the season of Lent starts this Wednesday. N.T. writes as this great quote, linking the spiritual discipline of self-examination to the physical practice of self-denial honors the way God has created us as physical beings. When we are stripped of our comforts and ease, we can then clear space in our souls to fill again with the presence and the word of God. In one sentence, our hope for this season of Lent is to turn down the voice of the world. And hear this, the voice of the world says we are slaves, does it not? And turn up the, ver the voice of the Father, which says we are free and children of God. And so here's our hope and how we're going to do this as a faith family. During Lent, we're going to encourage all of us to fast, kids, students, based on your parents' um, kind of uh, leading here, and adults, during Tuesdays of Lent, during daylight hours, we ask that we're going to all food, uh, fast from all food during daylight hours on Tuesdays, starting the next Tuesday. And then the other thing I would ask you to consider joining is a fast from all digital media. And, okay, there we go. There we go. Um, so uh, me and Tracy, we took off some social media from our phones a week or two ago, and I found myself literally like going to my phone, where's, where's Twitter at? And just scroll like, you know, like an itch. I'm like, oh my gosh, where? and I feel this in my soul. And so the goal is to fast from digital media because, let's be honest, the voice of Netflix, the voice of Instagram, the voice of the other person is so loud in our lives, is it not? And our goal is we can turn that voice down and turn up the voice of the Father that speaks truth and love to us. And we're going to use, so as we fast, that should lead to prayer. And we've created this, you see it in your little Lent guide, this acronym of pray. And so I would encourage as you have the itch, as you want the thing to turn to God in prayer, that includes praise, repentance, we ask of him and when we yield to him. And this is modeled on the Lord's prayer. And I am so excited to see what the next 40 days holds for our faith family. And here's the really exciting part. This will all culminate, of course, Good Friday and Easter. And that weekend, we're going to have 36 straight hours of prayer as a church. 
Last year we did 24 hours. We're going 12 more hours to cry out to our Father on behalf of our own souls, the soul of our families, and the soul of our cities. And so that's our hope for Lent. Kids, workers, you dismissed the back um, to go and to pour into them. Thank you guys for being here today um, on a nice and beautiful non-sunny day. Seriously, about 9 o'clock this morning, I was like, what is happening right here? I mean, there was some hail coming down. We're going to be in Mark 2, uh, verse 18, if you want to turn there. There is one thing that I noticed, I notice in my heart, and I get to talk to you, a lot of you guys a lot, and it's, and it's fun, but there's just... I'm trying to think how to say this. Do you read, you know, you that part, I think it's in a, in a lot of Paul's letters where Paul is going through like the worst of things. And um, Paul just starts praising God. Y'all see that in scripture? Or you see, remember Stephen, he's in Acts, he's uh uh, one of the first uh, deacons in the church. And Stephen was this bold man of faith. And Stephen's being stoned to death. And as he's being stoned to death, uh, he is saying, dear father, forgive them. And it says that Stephen's like glowing, right? Or you read in Acts 2 and Acts 4 about uh, when there was a need in the church, the people who had more means were selling their possessions. They were selling their, their, their land to, to give to those people, right? Or how about this? Before Jesus went to the cross, and we know later was ascended into heaven, he told his followers, I want to remind you that Jesus Christ was, was God in flesh. He said this to them. He said, it's better for me to leave so that my helper can come because you will do greater things when the helper is here when I am gone. So I, I read the experience of Jesus, his followers, his disciples for those first hundred years of so, or so. And then I also, there's people sometimes I see in my life, and we'll call them uh, uh, Jolly Joe and Positive Patty, right? These Christians in your life, that they are just walking with Jesus. And they are full of joy, and like they really love people. They don't love people to get something from them. They love and they serve people. And they have this peace, and they're not tired. And, and when bad things happen, they have this joy I can't understand. I, I, see these, I, I see these accounts in Scripture, and I see real-life saints in action, right? And then I see myself on a Tuesday, right, where... Even this weekend, I was gone for a, uh, we went to encourage some church planters and did a little marriage thing for these planters and their spouses. And, and it was a great weekend and Tracy came up and we had a great time. Um, and like, I really missed my kids when I was gone. Like I was, oh man, I miss Hayes and Connor. I miss them. Been about 10 minutes in to being home and I stopped missing them like very quickly. And I, f I found myself a few things. Maybe is I had today coming. And there was anxiety about, whew, I've got to be on today. You ever feel that anxiety? 
and then my kids need something and uh, the fruit of love and joy and patience did not come out. It was the fruit of leave me alone many times. And what I want the most, I say all that and I want to remind us of this. God is patient with me. God is patient with us. God is growing me. I believe I look more like Christ today than I did 10 years ago. And I want us to hear that. But I also think there's an ache in our souls, in our bones. Don't you really want to have a deep love and pure passion for people? You know, Jesus, when he, it says when he was in Jerusalem, he looked out on the crowds and it just broke his heart. And this word compassion that it uses is literally this term like from the guts, like his insides were torn out because the people were in disarray. I, I want that kind of love for the people of this world. Do you not? I want whenever I'm hit to pour out love and not pour out impatience or contempt. I want that I think more than anything, that is what we want. And I think as I was studying and praying and even worshiping this morning, I heard from the Father that I know that we want those things. And I think we just, we truly try to accomplish those means the completely wrong way. Hear this. In Christ, you are a new creation. You are a new thing. You're not a used car, you're a new car. The new car smell is all over you. And it smells good. You are new. You're no longer a slave to fear. You are no longer beholden to the lies of the enemy. You are you're beautiful in Christ, clothed with Armani righteousness, friends, with the best clothes from Jesus Christ. That is who you are. But we, as new creation people, we turn to the old bitter wine. And we try to live on this wine and, and go to and depend on this wine. And we walk in the ways of slavery and we wonder why we feel and we perceive life as the old creation, right? We're living in old creation ways, not new creation ways. Or... There are some of us in this room who in love, I will tell you, you're not a new creation. You have gone to the church things. You might have even walked an aisle, but you have never surrendered. You have never truly put it out there and repented and turned from slavery into the loving arms of Jesus. You're just trying with this with all these religious ways to prove, look, God, I'm good enough now. Look, God, I'm good. And you're living as an orphan. And here, here is the truth for all of us today that we're going to see in Mark 2. Jesus came to do a new thing, a brand new thing. And this new thing, these new wineskins, this new way, this new kingdom is great news for us today. Let's go to Mark 2. It says here in verse 18, 
Now, John's disciples, this is John the Baptist, right? They were, they and the Pharisees were fasting. They were doing good religious things. And so then people came to him, came to Jesus. They said to him, hey, Jesus, why do John's disciples, this is John's followers, his apprentices that were trying to learn the way of God and the disciples of the Pharisees, they fast. Like they're doing this religious thing, but your crew, your disciples, they don't do this. They do not fast. In verse 19, Jesus said to them, he just always, I love how he, he answers the question with a question, does he not? Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Can you imagine their faces when he said that? What are you talking about, Jesus? He keeps going. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. There's so much here. We're going to keep going then. No one sows. And then he takes a complete turn. He just shifts from the, he's like, oh, thanks for that fasting question. Now I'm going to just shift everything for you to see something new. He says here, the days will come. I'm sorry, verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. It's so hard not to go ahead and preach right now, but I'll just keep going. Verse 22, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. Listen, old creation cannot contain new creation, friends. The wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Then in verse 23, we kind of have another shift that Mark gives us. It says, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Verse 24, the Pharisees were saying to him, look, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Verse 25, he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need, when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful, but for the priest itself to eat. And also he gave it to those who are with him. And then Jesus really ups the ante here in verse 27. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Verse 28. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Whew. This passage here gives the reader kind of, and gives us today this new chapter, uh, a new revelation, a new picture of what Jesus came to do. And I think it all hinges on verse 21 and 22. It's on these unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away. It's the new wine skin and the old wine skins. The wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. New wine is for fresh wine skins. Here's what he's saying. 
He did not come to simply add on or to adjust what is already happening or to slightly change the the way they were living. He was not here to reform religion, but to end religion. To absolutely end it and replace it with new wine. And the new wine is Jesus Christ himself. In the, in the ways of religion, which we're going to get to and define and look at and let it press on us and look at the way of Jesus, but the ways of religion, hear this, cannot fit Jesus Christ inside of them. They cannot do it. One of, probably a lot of our favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, the words of Paul. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if your faith is in him, if you have pushed your chips into the table of Jesus, then he is a new creation. It says, old things have passed away. God, that's good. And look, new things have come. He came to regenerate, to make new, not to improve. See, this is true. Here's a key on a personal level. He came to make you new, but it's also true on a corporate level. He came to make a new way of relating to God, a new system of being with God to replace the old. The gospel of Jesus Christ did not add to Judaism, but it reformed it. It renewed it. It superseded it. The new covenant replaces the old covenant. And it was the old way, this religious, and as we're going to see today, many times oppressive and hollow system of relating that he came to destroy. He came to end. In this, we see this old way that he came to confront had these kind of what I would say false ways of relating to God that I think we can relate to today. The first is this. The Pharisees would have this kind of faith that says, look at me. And here's what we all do this. We make sure our best is what we put out front. Look again at verse 18. They were fasting. And it says, why don't your disciples fast? I want to remind us of how fasting worked uh, back then. See, in the Old Testament, there was specified to be only one day of fasting. It was the day of atonement. And it was this special day that was set apart for a day of cleansing from sin and this affliction of the soul. That was a part of the law. But in this context, fasting is an act of repentance and preparation for this deep remorse for sin. But look at Matthew 6 in verse 16 as Jesus once again talks about fasting and these leaders and what they're actually doing. He says, when you fast, talking to his followers, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. I want you to see this. Fasting was intended to be this deep remorse and reflection for sin. But see, these Pharisees, the ones that Jesus was trying to supersede their way of religion, their primary means for fasting was that they would look good to other people. And so when they would fast, they would accentuate how hungry they are. They would go to the middle of everybody, oh, I'm hungry, I'm so starved. They would make sure they looked terrible so people would see how pious they are, how good they are. 
they would hold up themselves, trying to prove themselves good enough. But look at verse 17. He says, when you fast, my followers, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And he says in verse 16, truly I say to you, those who are living in this way, they'll get their reward. The reward is the praise of man. See, the way of puffing up, the way of prideful, showy, kind of um, outside the cup religion is incompatible to the way of Jesus. It doesn't line up. And so Jesus sees this because this was celebrated. And hear this, in our day it is celebrated as well, is it not? We too many times focus on the outside of things and we project and we do all these things. But it wasn't just fasting he came to kind of address. We also see in verse 23, he talks about Sabbath. And it's interesting here. See, we know the Ten Commandments, right? The law of God directed the Jewish people to take a day of rest. That was a part of God's command. That was a gift to his people. It was a gift of rest. But the leaders of that day had done this. They had made this law. They've, they added this law with this just stack of regulations, this stack of stuff. There were 39 types of things that were forbidden to do on the Sabbath that were not a part of God's original plan. They had made this beautiful gift from God, this oppressive thing to God's people. See, they were taking, they were taking God's gift and they were using it as a means to prove their goodness to God and others. So you see these two things of puffing up to the world and trying to prove ourselves to God. That Jesus is clearly saying here, this is the old way. This is the unsuccessful way. And here's what happens when we try to puff ourselves up and prove ourselves to God. We inherently then begin to use people and not love people. And what happened even in this 2,000 years ago, there was this system all of these religious regulations and oppressive rules and systems designed to puff themselves up and oppress the people of God and keep these leaders in control. And Jesus was saying, no, this is enough. I'm not adding to this. I'm tearing it down and replacing it with myself. Remember, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. He was a Jewish teacher. And so rabbis would come and they would teach people how to follow the law of God. And that was normal. And their goal was to explain how to live out the law, live out traditional Judaism. But what Jesus says is here is so radical. Look at verse 27 again. He said to him, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. And this was probably a pretty typical thing where uh, the Pharisees would hear this. Okay, this is a new thing to debate. Was the Sabbath made for man or the man for the Sabbath? And they could see this and within the, 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 their perspective of how you debate religion. But then Jesus blows that up with verse 28. The son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And that right there, he drew the line in the sand of what was happening. 
There was room for debate about what he was saying. When you say that, it becomes very, very clear. And, and here is, as he is the Lord of the Sabbath, and here's, we hear that, here's the good news about Jesus. We hear that word Lord, and we think oppressive, don't we not? Oh, he's going to just, he's going to rule over us and abuse us and take from us. But, but this king, this Lord is completely different, completely different. Our king describes himself as gentle and lowly. Our, our king, listen, our king did not come for those that have it all together. He came for the ones who have nothing together. So we hear this word, Lord, remember, this is a kind king. His rule is not oppressive. His rule is generous and life-giving. His kingdom is beautiful. That is our Lord. That was 2,000 years ago that he came to replace this system with the system of Jesus, with the new way, with the new wine. But as I was studying, as I was praying, the words of 2,000 years ago and the thing he came to replace and, and, and destroy, if we hold up a mirror to ourselves and even to the way that we relate to God, it begins to convict us as well. How much has our way or the way of religious expression in 2024 in Louisiana, in Bossier City, in Shreveport, how much of that way of religion has clouded in our perspective the way of Jesus? Think about many of us. There is this, the way of religion is an over-concern with the way we appear to others, does it not? There's this lie it's a lie of religion, it's a lie of the enemy that if you just hold it all together, you iron the shirt, put on the lipstick, if you're a female, you do all the things, you, you use the right religious words that keep people away, that if we can do that for 75 years, then we've done our job but we've never experienced and tasted and seen the joys of the kingdom of God. Because hear this, you cannot put new wine into old wineskins. You cannot do it. Maybe one of the biggest ones I see, and that Jesus talks about this literally about the people who are comfortable with their money. We are so comfortable. We're not needy at all. And friends, that is a blessing, but we have to be, we have to heed the warning of Jesus as well. Because the first thing he starts with when he starts his kingdom mandate, his kingdom plan is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Real simply, the ones who are needy get to come. And friends, if we walk in the American way of faith, we will miss the kingdom but have a retirement. 
Those things are not bad. But if we are dependent, if they have our hearts, Jesus says, come to me all those who are what? If we if we're not weary because we have a 401k, if we're not weary because we have a garage with cars, if we're not weary because we have a closet full of clothes, if we're not weary because we have this, this, and this, and we're not needy, we will miss the kingdom. And there's no wonders that we're missing out on the promises of Jesus. Only needy people get to come. The question we should be asking is not, how am I going to have this? The question we should be asking is, how am I going to have this and remain needy? It's not wrong to ask God for things. It's not wrong to buy things. It's not wrong to get things. It gets dicey to need things. And I worry for myself, my wife, my kids, our church, that sometimes we're just simply not needy enough. We have the stuff. If I have questions, I go to Google, right? I become so needy, I don't need God or people. And that's the complete opposite of how God has designed this thing, friends. We are made in his image, a communal image for other people. I listened to this great podcast recently, and they were talking about how we have learned to bypass. We all have this desire for deep connection, right? But we have kind of found the cotton candy of that through social media and binging. Here's what I mean. You desire deep connection, but you settle for the hollow version from watching and scrolling on social media. You desire deep connection, but instead you settle for the hollow version of knowing the characters of the office or friends or whatever your show is, right? They become your deep connection. And we live these hollow, halfway, non-needy lives. And we should not be surprised that we're not experiencing the life of the kingdom. But here's the good news. We are no longer slaves to the ways of the world. We have access. I see this maybe mostly in myself. If I can just be real honest with you guys, that we love, we love other people transactionally. We love people because they give us something. Maybe it's an insecurity you have, and by loving and being kind to others, they make you feel secure and feel enough and feel warm and feel like that. Maybe it's purely you need help and you love others to get help, but I see this, this, here's how I see it mostly in the church. We love others when they're good and we ignore them when they're bad. Or we love others until we see their sin and they hurt us and then we're done with them. That is old way kind of love, friends. New way kind of love is the love of the kingdom. Have you ever experienced that kind of love? This is when um, I start giggling, is when I think about that love shown to me and when we get to show that love to each other when the, the brother or sister that's in your circle, maybe it's a kid, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's somebody at the church, when they blow it and they see you and they are so worried that you're gonna judge them, leave them and speak a harsh word and your response is a smile and a, and a hug. That's the new way, friends. 
here is even the, maybe the, the less new way we've seen is when that brother or sister, they use their words poorly. Ever happened to you? Where they say the dumb thing, the thing that, you, that, that when somebody says that, it kind of really upsets you, it triggers you if you want to use that word. And they say those things and in your heart, you see this kind of anger, resentment, walls being put up, but you say no. We're a new kingdom creation. We're a new people. That's my brother, my sister in Christ. So I'm going to talk to them or I'm going to, here's a beautiful thing for my friend Elsa. I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna let it go. We're just gonna let it go because I can forgive in the thousands when I've been forgiven in the trillions, correct? The church of Jesus Christ, your community group, your home should be the most graceful piece of heaven in this world. And when it's not, we know it's the old way invading the new way. And last thing I think that we can see as far as the old way, it's, this, it's, this, it's a lie from the stupid devil that the way of Jesus is the most exhausting, least joyful way to live. I, I, I wish I had two mics right now because that is the lie I think a lot of us believe that we come on Sundays, trying to think how to say this nicely. Following Jesus is not some like personal trainer screaming at you to say, do this, do that, and it's miserable. It's, 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 it's not that, it's not. Following the way of, the way of God, this, this new way, is the voice of a loving father who sees you, who loves you, who is pursuing you and inviting you into the greatest way of life. Now hear this, is that greatest way of life gonna make you do some things? Yes, it is. Will that greatest way of life make you leave some things behind, some pets behind? It absolutely will. But hear this, what we leave behind, what we sacrifice, what we sweat pales in comparison to the joy we receive on the other side of that. That is new way living. Jesus came to do a whole new thing 2,000 years ago, and his kingdom has not stopped. And he is inviting us to get on with him in his kingdom ways. See, Jesus demonstrated this and invited us into this new way. See, in this new way, hear this. It's good news. It's good news. We can be excited right now. Even though it's, it's dreary outside, is it not? But here is good news. Lift your shoulders, lift your ears, lift your eyes, lift your heart, lift your heads and hear this. In the new way, forgiveness is not earned, it's given, friends. In this new way, love is sacrificial. It's not transactional. Jesus loved getting nothing and returned and he kept on loving. His mercy knows no bounds. It's the deepest ocean we can imagine. That is the new way. The new way is small. Hear this, many times it's slow. But man, it is secure. It is rock solid. He is not moving. He is steadfast. His love is faithful. It's never going away. It's not big and hollow. Is this world big and hollow? It is. There's so many big promises, but they are so hollow. Hear this, the new way. Oh, this is good. 
It's for the least of these. It's not for those who have it all together. Thank God, amen? It's not for those who have it all together. This new way, it permeates every part of us, not just the outside. Hear this. The new way is not us just like, oh, I'm going to love my enemy. I don't want to, but I'm going to do it. No, the new way is this. He begins to sow this seed to the deepest parts of your soul. And that seed grows over years of following him. And you look after 10 years and you're a lover of people. That is the new way. Do not settle for the cheap Diet Coke religion of an American way of life. Just don't settle for it. It's terrible. So, what time we got? We're okay. What are we going to do today? There's nothing to do today. There's no, there's no parades or Super Bowls today. We can just be here the rest of the day. And everybody's like, ooh. Here's how I want to end our time, is I want to answer this question after I've ranted for 20 minutes. How do we walk in this new way? Like, so we talk about becoming people of love and him sowing this deep seeds in our soul. That sounds beautiful, does it not? Don't you want to love people well? You want that? Don't you want to have this deep peace in your soul that no matter what may come, and I'll tell you, I, I know our friends in this, and there are some champions in this room that are walking through sickness, walking through betrayal, walking through financial insecurity. And for me as a, a pastor, as a fellow brother in Christ, watching them respond in kingdom ways literally is like a steroid shot to my faith. And I want to applaud you and I want to remind all of us the kingdom way is possible. And what Jesus says when he starts, that the kingdom of God has come near. It's come near. So how do we walk in this way? There's three words I want you to remember today. Posture, presence, passion. It's three Ps. Listen, I grew up Baptist. That's how I work. It's three points, alliteration, the whole thing. And so remember, posture, presence, and passion. Let's look first at our posture. And I don't mean sitting up straight. <laughs> What, are the, what, are the, what was the old way that Jesus was really harping on with this whole fasting thing? It was the Pharisees puffing themselves up. Puffed up people don't walk with Jesus. Puffed up people pretend to walk with Jesus. And, and one of the things I fear the most, I think Ross said this last week to the marriage thing, is that his kids don't experience, they grew up good church kids. They've done, they, don't, they haven't gotten in big trouble and they, don't, they grow up not needy. I fear that for my kids, that they become, in a sense, puffed up because they know the things, they do the things. Our real danger here is just not being needy. That's our biggest danger, friends. This is the comfort, security of our finance. We talked about a little bit already. This is, we don't need information or entertainment. Used to, if we wanted to have fun, we had to go be, be around people, right? Well, now we just turn on Netflix. We have fun, right? And if we want to see how others are having fun, we just go to social media. Oh, that's how they're having fun. But we, we never have this neediness together. We need each other. Like the idea of neediness is so foreign to us. 
Think about our kids. Like, they have no idea what waiting for a TV show is, right? Or my kids barely know commercials. Like, it's a foreign thing. Need in the American way is becoming evaporated to us. And I'll just tell you, we have to be mindful of that as followers of Jesus, correct? Hey, teenagers, uh, this morning, uh, we pray every Sunday at 8.30, right? 8.30? Okay, 8.30. And this morning, I don't want to embarrass her, but our friend Kendall Bryce led us this morning with a devotion and led us in prayer. And I, it's not an understatement to say that uh, the rest of the adults in that room were ministered in a way that's hard to put into words. And there is this, uh, and we're kind of sometimes too buttoned up as a church. I'm one of the pastors, so it's my fault too. But we're just too buttoned up and we have to do you know, this and this. And I think sometimes it makes young people feel like um, they're on the back seat. And this is your weekend coming, your, your D now weekend coming up, right? There is something as you're still in your youth there is a neediness that you have. There is a emotional, this is where I'm at that you have. There is, I need God's love and help in such a big way that you have. There's a boldness that you have. Even as you said, bring the children to me, come to me like a child. There's this thing that you have that our church desperately needs. And you know, next Sunday, we're going to see a bunch of smelly kids on these, the teenagers on these front rows wearing a t-shirt. And we're going to, here's my hope is that we learn from them next week. That we learn what it looks like to have a posture of neediness, to have a posture of desire for God, to have a posture of, I don't care how I look right now. I just love him. Our church desperately needs that. Let me say one more thing to our teenagers. We do this all the time. And I pray as my kids are getting ready for middle school, I am praying like I have never prayed before because I know there's temptations. I know there's devices. I know there's things in this world that we never experienced. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, we live with this fear for our kids. Do we not? But in Christ, we have not what? We have no fear, do we not? So let's turn this. We're not going to fear for our kids. We're going to pray for our kids. But also, I believe that our kids, this coming generation, could be the one in their, in their neediness, in their passion that could change everything. Is it not right? So teenagers today, you're not the future, you're the today. And our church needs you. And there's unbelievable things that you can do for the kingdom. And God is inviting you right now not to watch, but to walk. And we need you to walk. We want you to walk. I need your help walking. I don't walk as good as you used to anymore, guys. We need each other. Because as you're walking, you might inspire us to run, to remember the passion we had when we were 16 years old. I'll never forget, I was 18 years old at a, an event Leighton was leading in Eunice, Louisiana. I'll never forget this. And I felt this call to ministry. And I didn't know what to do. So I went home and had a Bible study, invited everybody I know to my mom's house, the red shag carpet guys and I remember playing this this is how this is the the beauty of youth and I played this old song on a boom box boom box guys in the head yes let's go and I played this boom box among thorns embrace this place anybody in the room 
Okay, a few of us, yes. This is, how, this is where I was, guys. I'm leading, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I love Jesus. I play this song, and we're singing. And the problem with boomboxes, young people, is they skip. Scratch CD had a big problem. The CD stops working. Didn't stop young Jason. I started leading worship, guys, just right there. I said, let's go. But here's why. Because there is this neediness, there is this passion, there is I don't care how I look, I just love Jesus that we need from you young people. Friends, our posture matters. How we come to Jesus matters. But here's the problem. Instead of being needy and humble, we hide and pretend. Many of us in this room were forced to stop hiding by being caught, right? I'm not gonna raise hands today, <laughs> don't worry. Hey, that was me. I was caught in some stuff, I had to stop hiding. And it was the greatest gift God, gave, God ever gave me. But here's my fear for many of us. It's two things, that we hide and pretend and don't become needy our entire lives and we miss the blessings of the kingdom. I, I'm not saying you're not a son and daughter, but I'm saying you're not experiencing your inheritance is what I'm saying of this earth. That's one fear. The second, in our hiding and our pretending, we're playing with fire. And in that hiding and that pretending and not being needed, you play with fire and long enough you get burned. And it burns your family, and it burns your friends, and it burns all these things down. And sometimes you burn it so much you can't repair it. And you might find God in the midst of that and hear this. If that's you today, he restores things. I burned some things down. I have, but guess what? God has restored much more than I burnt down. I'm not saying there's no hope. I'm not saying that, but I am saying this. Stop playing with fire. Being needy is a lot better than being burned, is it not? This is a safe place to be needy, not a perfect place. We will say dumb things. I will say dumb things, but I believe this is a loving place. Amen? Where we as a people can be ugly, gross, and needy. It's when we have this right posture that we can move to his presence. Hear this. God goes where he is wanted. I, I think we wonder, oh, why am I not, why am I not experiencing the joy of God? And I've said that so many times until I look at my screen time. Oh, okay. That's what I want. Right? God goes where he's wanted. And needy people go to him. So, first word, posture, second word, presence. <coughs> Jesus was telling them in this passage that Sabbath was a gift from God. This was this gift, and this gift of Sabbath, even today, we can argue and debate whether it's still a, a thing we have to follow, but I'll tell you this, Sabbath is a gift to follow. Ha having a Sabbath, stopping for a day for, for delight, for rest, and for worship is a beautiful thing that I believe every follower of Jesus should adapt in their life because it's a gift. It's a joy. It's a gift. But the Pharisees flipped it, did they not? They took this gift of rest and made it a means to prove how good they were, right? Instead of receiving, they were trying to prove, and they had flipped and destroyed Sabbath. Listen, this is the beauty of the kingdom of God. In his kingdom, his presence is given, not earned. Hear this, it's given, not earned. Keller says this, this is great. There's a work 
underneath our work that we really need rest from. It's the work of self-justification. Amen. Raise our hands in this room. Amen. It's the work that often leads us to take refuge in religion. Most of us work and work trying to prove ourselves, to convince God, others, and ourselves that we're good people. The work is never over unless we rest in the gospel. At the end of his great act of creation, the Lord said, what? It is finished. And he could rest. On the cross, at the end of his great act of redemption, Jesus said, it is finished, and now we can rest. Is that not beautiful? I did not write that. On the cross, Jesus was saying of the work underneath your work, the thing that makes you truly weary, this need to prove yourself because who you are and what you do are never good enough. He's saying that it is finished. Amen. Remember, he is the Lord of Sabbath. He is the Lord of our rest. He's the king. But listen, he's also the conquering king. That's what's so amazing. He's the conquering king, but in his conquering, he gives us the spoils of rest. He's not the oppressive king that gives us the burden of taxes or of work. He is the king out of the spoils of victory saying, my children can rest. But here is where we, I think, get a bit confused about presence. There's two things. Either we try to earn that presence or second, we just say we do we have this gift, but we never actually get to enjoy it because we don't actually do it. Just a, just a real, real, real quick thing. Presence requires pursuit. God goes where he's wanted. And if we never actually stop, Jesus had literally a secret place he would go to because he wanted to be in the presence of the Father. Yes, God is everywhere. But if you are always going and going and going and going, we should not be confused as to why we're not experiencing the presence of God. See, the old way, we hear pursuits and we think striving and earning. No, 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 that's not true. We're not earning God's favor by pursuing him. We are saying we know this is valuable, so we want to give our time, our attention, our sweat to his presence. Dallas Willard says this, authentic transformation is possible if we're willing to do one thing, and that is to arrange our lives around the kinds of practices in life Jesus led to be constantly receiving power and love from the Father. We must center our lives around the presence of the Father. That's part of the reason that we're really, we want to encourage us to do this fast here next week. It's because we want to learn to center our lives around the presence of the Father. Here's one more thing in the text we see of why this presence is so great. Look at verse 18 one more time. They asked him about fasting and they said, well, why don't you guys fast? Verse 19, he says this. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? 
as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now, very quickly, this this uh, command was for his disciples at that time only because he was with them at that time. It's not a thing for us today, but it is. it does give us a really cool point to see where Jesus is, where his presence is, there is fullness of joy. Jesus brings the joy. He was there, no reason to fast because the joy is right there. Enjoy, enjoy the bridegroom, enjoy him, right? The same same is true for us today. We must learn to enjoy the Savior, enjoy the presence of the Father. Because of our given position, we are now pursuing him as a child that simply wants to be with our father. This morning, my um, Hattie Jane came running in. And I think I was in here and not in the library. That was a mistake. And uh, many of you saw this. That girl was working to find her father, was she not? She was screaming. She might start sweating. She was looking. She was seeking. And finally, this is even more beautiful, through the arms of another, she found her father. That's how this works. It's a humble, needy child that knows where love is. And we do everything. We stop whatever we need to stop for the sake of being with our love because we've tasted and seen. Oh, this is the best thing. So I'm gonna stop the lesser things. Will that be work? Yes. Will that be earning? No. It's in our posture as needy that we're given this position and this presence to be with our Father. But here's the cool thing. The right posture and connection to the right presence, it leads to a transformed passion. Here's what we tend to do. We tend to not humble ourselves and not spend time with the Father. This is when we're not in our, in our, and we're doing the old way. And then we try to force love for others. We force love of neighbor, neighbor. We force love of each other. We force love of the enemy and we, and it exhausts us and it feels fake and we just give up. And it's because we have misarranged the way this works. Hear this, friends, as you humble yourself and as you're with him and he breathes on you, he's going to breathe some supernatural kind of love where it doesn't make sense why you love people so freely, but that's what he does. He gives you a passion for people. He gives you a passion without the phony. And for too long, the church has been okay with the phony. God did not raise up kids who fake love each other. He wants kids who really, from the depths of their soul, love each other. See, both these examples, the, the fasting and the Sabbath, Jesus knows their heart. Just like at the beginning of Mark 2, he can already see what their idols are all these regulations, and they're a burden to people. They were abusing people through their burdens. It was a transactional kind of love, and he's saying, no, 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 this is not compatible with my new way of the kingdom. His new way is saturated in love. Jesus talks all the time about love of what? God, to love each other, to love our neighbor, to love our enemy. The way of God is the way of love. 
but you can't produce that kind of love. It's a caught kind of love, right? It's a breathed on, exposed kind of love that you get from him that you pour out to others. And you desire this. I desire this to deeply and truly love people. I want this. But I want to warn you, a part of this passion leads to suffering. When you move out in passion, suffering tends to come. You talk to those um, who are on the front lines of caring for our friends at the hub. As they have put themselves out there, they get hurt. If you've ever been in ministry on any kind of level in the church, a small group, pastoring, as you love people, people tend to leave. Because in our passion, we love people and people tend to hurt us because when your passion is there, suffering can come. Out of my wife's passion, this calling to adopt, and we've been given the gift of our daughter, Hattie, there's been lots of suffering, lots of things that we can't do. Jesus says, count the cost. But here's the supernatural thing about this. New wine is made through a crushing and a pressing, is it not? There are some things you only learn through suffering. There are some things you only learn through loving people and they let you down. There's, there's some things, that is the warning. The mission of God can many times lead to heartbreak and suffering. But in the heartbreak and suffering, God is doing a new work in your life. He's producing new wine in your life. So hear this, friends. Do not grow weary in doing good. He is going to finish the work he started. And also, he says, come on, who are weary, right? Take on his joke, right? It's not our job to carry everything. Our job is to be with him, let him carry everything for us. Now hear this, this is a muscle to grow. I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that you're gonna go and today you're gonna humble yourself and you might come to an altar and you just sit in the presence of the Father's love and you're gonna be inspired. I'm not saying today you're gonna love your enemy perfectly. I'm not saying that. But I will say this, that, that mustard seed of faith that's harvested and produced over a long period of time God will do a mighty work in the life of his children as we continually come to him. We can become people of love. But all three of these require being a needy posture, a dependent presence, and this loving passion. They require, in a sense, a death to all of us, a death to certain things, a death to old creation, to old wineskins, because they cannot contain this new wine. We have to let those things go and move towards the new. And so what I would encourage you this, today is the day to put off the old. If you hear this message of the kingdom and your ears kind of perk up and you have questions and you have, what is, that is the Holy Spirit at work. And what I would tell you is if that is you, if you have questions about, well, how do I walk in this new kingdom way? How do I walk? How do I turn away in repentance from these old ways and trust in the new wine through Jesus? If that's you, if you have those questions, if that's on your heart, in a minute, we're going to pray. We feel back there praying. That's your time. 
I believe this. The, if you had the boldness to go and just ask some questions of what is God doing here? Because I believe God is at work and you're on the, the precipice of walking in this new way of life. Or if you're here and, and, and you have walked with Jesus, you've tasted and seen, but if you were honest, you have walked in some, some old ways for a while. Been trying to kind of prove it, maybe hiding. You've kind of neglected that, that gift of the presence of God and, and your love's kind of hollow now. That's, if that's you today, I, I want to invite you, I want to challenge you. I'll say, I'll make myself bold and say that. I want to challenge you for this season of Lent. Turn down the voice of the world. If I am sure of one thing, I'm sure of this. The voice of digital media is too loud in most of our lives. Is that fair to say? Okay, I'm not going any further than that. Between you and God. Turn the voice down. Turn up the voice of prayer. And, and you might be saying, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to pray. Here's what I'd encourage you. Pray what you got. And if, and if you don't even know what you got, that happens. You ever been there before? Well, all right, what do I pray then? I know, I know what I have to pray. We literally have a prayer for you every single day. Recite those prayers with a humble heart. And if we turn down that voice and turn up the voice of the Father for one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, I think you'll be surprised how the kingdom of God begins to change your heart. And I want to invite you and, and challenge you to walk in that with us. Because fasting humbles our posture. Prayer draws us into presence and then renews our passion for others. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your new kingdom way. Let us respond to you. Let us respond to you in faith. Give us uh, a humble, needy heart. Let us see you. Let us see you. Let us be a people who walk in your new way today. I love you. I pray all this in your name. Amen. We're going to close today with communion. Um, a new meal for a new way. And so if you... Um, we're a member of our church, but we do ask you to be part of God's family. I've said yes to him. If, if that's you, I would encourage you to talk with him and then come when you're ready. Experience the joy of his body broken for you, his blood shed for you. If that's not you, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, maybe today you want to just talk to him in the way that you know how today. Just be as honest. Or maybe you want to go to the back and talk to one of our prayer partners. But I would encourage you, do some work with him. Come when you're ready.